Well, welcome back to the series on um, Kingdom Living, or simply, we could put it like, uh, it's living with Jesus in charge. Living with Jesus in charge. And we've been looking at what is commonly known as the Sermon on the Mount. It's a series of teachings that uh, is all put together in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And we've been looking into chapter 5 and looking at what we call Kingdom Relationships kingdom relationships. And this morning I bring this section to an end and in the coming weeks we're going to go into what is called the secrets of the kingdom. So if you have your Bibles, I'm going to read from Matthew chapter 5 and verses 43 to 48. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 43 to 48. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. For he makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Almost rhymes, doesn't it? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Let me pray. Father, we come to you this morning and pray that by your Holy Spirit, you will teach us. You will enable us. You will empower us. Lord, in all of this teaching, we want to be more like Jesus in our everyday life. That we might reflect, mirror image, the goodness and the grace of our Heavenly Father. So bless this word, Lord. We want you to be glorified and your kingdom extended. Amen. You know, if I'd have been part of the original crowd that were listening to Jesus when he first gave this um, teaching on the Sermon on the Mount, if I'd have been part and listened to his words, I'd have just loved the whole turn-the-other-cheek stuff. I'd have think, that is pure genius. You know, giving your outer coat as well as your inner coat, going the second mile, I would think, great. That is absolutely superb. I am with you, Jesus. You have got one fan here. I'm a fan. But then he goes and Spoils it because he starts talking about loving your enemies. You know, I'm kind of saying, did he, did he just say? I mean, some of this stuff is very hard, as you would have understood some of the challenges of what Rob shared last week and on other previous weeks. And but some of it, you can go so much with it and say, I love that. I'm a fan. I'm a follower. Where do I sign up? But then Jesus. As he's talking his manifesto, talking about the intent of his incoming kingdom, what it means, well, for him to be in charge of our lives, he goes and brings in this stuff about loving your enemies. It wouldn't be so bad, but he uses that word agape or agape, however you pronounce it. I'm not a Greek scholar. So he uses the word for love, agape or, or agape. And he says, I want you to love your enemies. He's not just talking about um, uh, demonstrating friendliness. 
He's talking about sacrificial, selfless, unconditional love for our enemies. He wants us to agape our enemies. He wants to agape our enemies. Um, Jesus just doesn't leave it there because he goes on to explain who our enemies potentially could be. And he gives us four types of enemies. And some of these people would not think of themselves as enemies. And so Jesus goes through four people groups, four people groups who potentially could be difficult to get on with. Now, the first are those who persecute you. Those who persecute you. These we find in verse 44. Now, I guess when we talk about enemies, these are the people we would initially think of because they persecute you. The word here means to hassle, means to hound. It means potentially they could hurt you emotionally and even physically. These are people who persecute you, be it an individual or a group. They, their hatred is so deep, they want to do whatever they can to remove you. The idea behind the word persecute here is that, that you want to run. Sometimes when we face difficult people, they give you this kind of feeling, I just want to get out of here. And persecutors want to persecute you, bring and to remove you from your rightful place. You find them in nations, you find them in cities, you find them in towns, you find them in neighborhoods, sometimes you find them in the place of business. And sadly, they have sometimes been found in some churches. But Jesus said, I want you to agape. I want you to sacrificially, selflessly, unconditionally love these people as God loves them. Love and pray for those who persecute you. I need to add a note here. I don't think Jesus is saying condone that which is wrong. I believe he's saying love the person, but you're not condoning what they're doing. So he talks about those who persecute you. Then he goes on to talk about those who oppose you. Verse 45, the end of verse 45. This is the message translation. God gives his best, the sun to warm and the rain to nourish, to everyone, regardless whether they're good or bad, nice or nasty. God benevolently pours out his sun and his rain on the good and the bad, the nice and the nasty. And he's saying here, God is benevolent even to those who oppose him. Those who are living a life that is in direct opposition to God's will and God's way. And these people may not think of themselves as enemies, but they are classified here as enemies. Before I became a Christian, the Bible says, my thinking and my desires were at enmity with God. I was living in a way I was thinking and my desires were opposed to the way God wanted me to think. So I was like in this classification of an enemy. So here Jesus is talking about the evil and the unrighteous people who refuse to submit their lives to the will of God. And while they may not call themselves enemies of God, they are doing everything in their own way and they are opposing him. These are people who are contrary. These are people who are antagonistic. It could be a neighbor. 
who no matter what you do, doesn't, doesn't like what you do. It could be a rebellious child. It could be an uncaring, non-listening, ill-tempered partner and, or a cantankerous neighbor. But they are doing things that are opposed to the way you see things. Now, maybe you never meet people like that. But I think that Jesus putting them in the text is saying, we've got to get ready because you could meet people who are cantankerous. You could meet people who oppose you. Even in the workplace, you don't know why, but they're opposing you. When Tina and I came back off our honeymoon, we were, and as newlyweds, we moved into a town called Daventry. It was nicknamed Deadly Daventry. We nicknamed it that. It, um, it was a, a bright idea of someone to create this new township. Well, it was a village, but they created it as a town. And here we would dump the problem families from Birmingham. And we put all the problems in one place and that would be the answer. Brilliant. And we moved into this uh, this town in order to uh, help lead a church. And when we came in to help the leadership, the leader decided he wanted to retire. And so he left it to us. <laughs> and I'm fresh out of college. I'm newly married. I've never led a church before. And I'm given this church to lead. And it was a kind of a leadership that was under the principle of um, pastor and deacons. And the deacons tried very hard to rule and bring keep the pastor in line. That's the way this system worked. And one day, after a while, and let me say, I didn't do everything well. Some of the things I, you know, there are times when I am anointed in a particular way to use a non-spiritual gift of stupidity. <laughs> so sometimes I say stupid things and do stupid things and I get the reward for what I do. It's my own fault. So some of the things I did there, I look back and think, oh, no, and I cringe. I think, no, no, I didn't say or do that. Anyway, the deacon said, we would like to see you, please. Oh, no. And they told me before, and we have a list, and I think it was either 11 or 12 items that they wanted to correct me on. Oh. So I didn't know what to do. I'm going to face these deacons who them. Well, no, let's not go there. Um, I love my enemies. I love the theory. It's the practice that really is sometimes a pain. Um, and before I go and meet these deacons, I go and see a friend of mine who is an older gentleman who's been in leadership for years. And I say, look, I'm going to meet these people and they're going to correct me and put me right. What should I do? So he told me of the scripture found in 1 Peter 2.23. It talks about Jesus. He said, when he was reviled, he didn't revile in return. And when he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued to entrust himself to him who justly judges. And then he added on to that. He said, when you read Moses, the story of Moses, who was leading a church in the wilderness of around two and a half million, and oftentimes it was just Moses, sometimes his sidekick Joshua. And the whole church in the wilderness that Acts talks about, the congregation in the wilderness, was against Moses. And they complained to the leadership. And nearly on every occasion it just says, Moses didn't react, he told the Lord about it. He told God about it, told God about it. So the advice to me was to listen to all that was said. 
and just thank them for it and then say, I want to go away and pray and seek God on these issues. Well, the meeting happened and they were up for a fight. They clearly were up for a verbal fight. And so I listened to every accusation and some of them, they clearly had grounds to say what they were saying. At the very end, I said, well, thank you. Thank you. And it wasn't a thank you, thank you. You know, it wasn't through my teeth. It was a thank you. (laughs) Um, I want to go away and pray about that. You know, when silence turns, a soft answer turns away wrath, the Proverbs say, and they were shocked. Didn't know what to do with it. And sometimes people who oppress you, we need the wisdom of God. God, help me here to know what to do. So Jesus said, your enemies sometimes are clearly those who persecute you. Sometimes it's those who oppress or oppose you and are opposing God's will that is seeking to flow through you. Then he gives two other groups, two other groups that could be clearly talked about as enemies. He talks about those who don't like you. Those who just simply come in this category who don't like you. Verse 46, for if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same. Loving the lovable is easy. It's loving those who in our mind are not so lovable. It may come as a surprise to you, but there are people in this world that don't like me. (laughs) They just plum don't like me. Now, as I said earlier, some of them do have just cause. Because I have done silly and said silly things and they don't like me. But some people don't like me because of a stand I've taken on certain biblical principles. And because of that, they've crossed me off their Christmas card list. And they will literally, if I see them in the street, because this has happened to me, they've crossed the road because they don't want to see me. Just the other week, we were in a a garden center walking out a very narrow area. And who was coming towards us was a couple who clearly do not like, I'll say us. Don't like us. And there was no way to go. I'm thinking, is there another way out? He no, there's no other way. And we're walking straight to towards each other. I think, oh, Lord, give me grace. And they were clearly embarrassed. What Their opening gambit was, what are you doing here? <laughs> it's a garden center, <laughs> surely. Kind of, I'm not allowed. And then they weren't expecting to meet us. And there are some people that just don't like us. But what he's saying, what Jesus is saying here, you've got to pray God gives you that sacrificial, that selfless, unconditional love that comes from God for them. Then finally, and this is where, for me, this text becomes tough. Because it's not only those who persecute you, not only those who oppose you, not only those who don't like you, but those that don't look like you. Those that don't look like you. Verse 47, uh, Message Bible. If all you do is love the lovable, do you expect a bonus? Anyone can do that. If you simply say hello, hello to those who greet you, do you expect a medal? Any run-of-the-mill sinner does that. Good old Peterson. Now, of all these four groups, this is the one that challenges me personally. Because Jesus is talking here about people from a different culture, people with a different belief system, people with different color, different language, different values and customs. 
He's talking about those who refuse to acknowledge you. Those who don't respond friendly to your friendliness. And these are the people he's saying, I want you to agape. I want you to show godly love to. This sounds a bit name dropping. I hope it doesn't come across that way. But this time last week, we were in Venice. Yes, very nice. (laughs) I dropped the name now. Facebook is good for some things. Okay. After 47 years, I found a friend on Facebook I've been trying to find for forever. We went to Bible college together. He was from Bologna in Italy. And I'd lost touch with him. I'd heard rumors that he no longer was a Christian, no longer following God. So I really wanted to meet up with him. And so we met up through Facebook and he invited us to go and be with him and his new, his wife of six years, um, who didn't speak really a word of English, but cooked brilliantly. Oh, cooked brilliantly. And so last weekend on Friday, we flew out to Bologna and we met up with him. And clearly he's still a follower of Jesus Christ, had a very tragic life. I just knew this was a God moment. I wasn't quite sure why we were going. It wasn't sightseeing. It wasn't for a holiday. But it began with great rejoicing. It ended with tears of joy and prayer around a table. And there wasn't a dry eye in the room as God gave words of encouragement to him and to his wife. It was just one of those divine appointments. But as I traveled with him, and I wouldn't want my children to know this, I went on public transport. I went on buses. I don't do buses very well. I'm sorry. I went on public transport and buses. And and clearly, it was 47 years ago I was in Bologna. And the city has gone through some tragic things. The whole financial, I don't want to get political here, but the financial framework of Italy and the huge immigration that they've seen, an immigration surge. And the city is, is being filled with people of different culture, Different belief system, different color, different language, different values and dis- different, different customs. And my friend was clearly finding this a huge challenge. He is of my generation. Um, my generation, generally speaking in Europe, are the people who got the money. The younger generation, the ones that are struggling because of financial pressures. And clearly, uh, his generation in Italy were being kind of Asked to pay for so many things. And he was finding it difficult to love what to him who were the unlovable. And this is where Jesus is coming from. He's asking us to love those who don't look like us. Don't look like us. They don't think like us. They don't act like us of a different culture. Not saying we are right, but they're just different to us. I think what Jesus is saying here is encapsulated in the story of the Good Samaritan. If you know anything of this story Jesus told in Luke chapter 10 of a, of a Jewish man who's on a journey to Jericho, he gets mugged on the way, and there he is by the side of the road, bleeding and just just uh, injured by what's happened to him. Race and religion pass him by. But here comes a Samaritan who's riding on a horse or a donkey or whatever it is. And the Samaritans and Jews don't have anything to do with each other. But Jesus says the Samaritan 
gets down off his horse or donkey or whatever it is. He pours oil and wine into the man's wounds. He does what he can to help the man, not only in the immediate, but in the long term. He's saying, I want to bring you to full health and strength. This is totally opposed to the society in which they lived and would have shocked those that were listening to Jesus tell the story. And to me, when Jesus talks about loving your enemies, I think he's saying, Chris, get down off your high horse. Get down with empathy and find where the people are hurting and needing to to sense the goodness of God that pour in the oil and the wine of the Spirit in what you say and what you do and help them come to wholeness. Help them come to wholeness. I want you to have a love without limits. A love that goes to a whole new level. A love that loves the persecuted, those that oppress you, those that don't like you. It's fine. I don't know what God was, well, I think I do know. I had a dream last night. And in my dream, everyone who doesn't like me came in the dream. And I was just seeing their faces in front of me. And I'm thinking, God, I may be preaching it, but do you want me to do this as well? And it was almost as if God said, okay, sunshine, you've got some great theology there, but how's that going to work out in your life? And I found myself in this dream praying, God, help me. I, I don't find this easy. Give me the key to have a love without limits, a love that goes to a whole different level, a love that, like that Samaritan, gets me down off my high horse and says, how can I help? Now, let's be honest. Some of you find it so easy to love the unlovable. I so wish I was like you. You're just so generous and so loving. But some, like me, find this text mission impossible. This is, this is mission impossible. It doesn't only seem hard, it seems humanly impossible. But then the Bible says, what is impossible with man is possible with God. So from the love, I think there's a key here to how we do this. A key, a kingdom key that unlocks this whole love, this sacrificial, selfless, unconditional love. And it's found in verse 44. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. I think this love is all to do with likeness. I think it's, you know, this loving your enemies is not an issue of works. It's a matter of sonship. It's more about being than doing. You see, if we're not careful, this comes into the realm of legalism. Um, this is the way I think. I'm not saying you think like this. Oh, well, I need to love them because I'm a Christian. <laughs> You're not very lovable, but I need to love you because I'm a Christian. And if it comes into the realms of doing, but I don't think that's what Jesus is saying here. He's saying, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. Now, recently, as I get older, those that know me and know my family, I keep getting this said to me. You're just like your dad. You're just like, you, you look just like your dad. I put a new profile picture on Facebook and one of my, 
I was going to say friends then, but one of my friends <laughs> said, said, you just, I thought he was your dad. I thought he was your dad. And I do things certainly. And Tina says, you, you, that's just like your dad. That's just like, and he used to wind me up. My dad was old. <laughs> and I said, well, so are you. And it used to wind me up. I mean, honestly, it used to wind me up no end. Now I'm changing my thinking. I'm taking it as a compliment. Because my dad was kind. My dad was generous. My dad was loving. My dad, and Tina said, put this one in. He was humble. <laughs> I added, I added this one. For his age, he was good looking. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> But so often people say, you just, what you did there was, I could just see your dad doing it. Do you know what I believe is going on here? I can't help being like my dad. His DNA is in me. I, I am like him because of his DNA. I grew up with my father. I had the privilege of having a mom and a dad who was at home. I worked and worshipped with my dad. He was a carpenter, so am I. He was a perfectionist, so am I. But it's only natural, therefore, that I would be like my father. So when it comes to this issue of loving your enemies, what he's saying here is, like father, like son. Like father, like son. I want you, this is what Jesus is saying, I want you to mirror image your heavenly father. When it comes to loving our enemies, God wants us, wants to turn our, I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't, into, I can't help it. I can't help it. Why is it you love your enemies? I can't help it. Because I'm enjoying the sonship relationship with my heavenly father. And as I enter into and enjoy this status of being a son and daughter of the king, I am developing more and more like him. One of my favorite texts is found in 2 Peter 2.4. It talks about born-again, spirit-filled believers. It says we are partakers of the divine nature. Partaker. I just love that. It's so packed with truth. I am a partaker of the divine nature. Paul uh, Belheimer in his book, Destined for the Throne, takes that verse and he says, we are next of kin to the Godhead. Next of kin to the Godhead. So next time you're filling out a form, he says, next of kin, put Godhead. (laughs) That'll confuse people. We're next of kin to the Godhead. I am a partaker of the divine nature. God's DNA by God's Spirit is in me. By being born again, His nature is within me. 1 John 4, 8 says, God is love. God's essence, God's makeup, His whole being is love. And so if in the DNA, as it were, of God, His love, therefore that DNA is in me because I am a partaker of the divine nature. The family likeness is going to be seen. My prayer is that God would help us in this. I think we right now have a golden opportunity to be Jesus to this generation.
I don't so much see the impossibilities. I see the possibilities. I don't so, so much see the difficulties. I see the, 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 the God-given moment. This is perhaps one of the best moments in modern times for the light of the gospel to shine in a confused words, in a confused world. If I say this, I hope you'll understand me when I say this. The world is not looking for another sermon. The world doesn't want another sermon. I don't think the world is looking for another worship CD either. Get me right here. I don't think the world is looking essentially for another social outreach. I don't think it's looking for another church. What the world is looking for is found in Romans 8, 19. It's waiting for the revelation of the sons of God. It's waiting for the sons and daughters of the king to move from the wings to the center stage. Because the world is desperate to catch a glimpse of God. And they will catch a glimpse of God through born-again, spirit-filled believers. Believers who understand their identity in Christ. And we've heard some of that this morning. That we are sons and daughters of the living God. The world is waiting to see sons who are and daughters who are enjoying intimacy with their heavenly Father. Sons and daughters who naturally mirror the image of God in the way that they love sacrificially, the way they love um, selflessly and unconditionally, the way that they share the compassion of the Father through acts of kindness, even though they would think of those people maybe as their enemies, people who who oppress them, people who persecute them, don't like them, don't look like them. The world is not waiting for people who just merely talk the talk. The world is waiting. The end of Matthew 5, the last verse in the Message Bible says, Your kingdom subjects now live like it. Live out your God-created identity. Live generously and graciously towards others. The way God lives towards you. The fruit of Matthew 5 is love. It's love. Love your enemies. But the root to the fruit is likeness. It's being like our Heavenly Father. I'm praying. I'm asking, God, the people who maybe don't so much persecute me, but oppose me, people who don't like me, more, Lord, I'm praying for those that don't look like me, their values are different to me, their language is different to me. God, I'm praying, give me the grace that is able to show acts of kindness that even though they don't know my Heavenly Father, they would say if they did, you're just like your dad. You're just like your dad. Because in that way, I can be Jesus to this generation. Love your enemies so that you may be a sons. So what does it say at the beginning, that, that key? It says, so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. Sons of your father who in heaven. Are in, is in heaven. Father, as we go through and have gone through these various texts within Matthew 5, 
Some we rejoice in, others we find really challenging. We're really honest, Lord, this whole loving of the unlovable is not easy. Very easy to talk about it, it's the practice that is the challenge. Now, Lord, as we meet people who may oppose us even in the workplace, even in a family setting, help us to show selfless, sacrificial, unconditional love. And Lord, as we see more and more people around us who don't look like us, have a different belief system, speak a different language, Lord, help us to be Jesus. Help us to be like Father, like Son. That others will see Jesus in the way that we act and react. That, Father, we will show this hurting world who our Father is. Like the Good Samaritan, Father, we will be able to get down off our high horse if we're on that, taking a moral high ground. Oh, Lord, there is any sense of pride in who we are in our generational upbringing. And, Lord, we'll get down and empathize with those in need and show them the love of the God who loves the whole world. Father, we ask these things in your name. For your glory. Amen.